0: Lead from the Side is made in partnership with Performance Leadership, a co-venture of Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. Hi, I'm Spencer Casimir, and this is Lead from the Side. Today's guest is Colin Mansbridge, CEO of Crusaders Rugby Football Club in Christchurch, New Zealand. He has also been the Head of Agribusiness at the Bank of New Zealand, General Manager Consumer Queensland A&Z in Brisbane, Director and Advisor SACOM Bank in Vietnam, and Head of Mortgages Bank of New Zealand in 2000. Colin, welcome to the show.
1: Kia Spencer. Thanks, mate. Thank you
0: for having me. So I'm getting the gist that everybody is still glowing from the big win the
1: other month. Yeah, some are. We've uh, had a couple of coaches move on or transition into what will be new roles. And a few players have moved on to other climbs, but generally speaking, the organization's still in a in pretty good heart and yeah, very, very excited and proud of what occurred.
0: You say that, you know, very matter-of-factly, the Crusaders are the winningest team in the Super Rugby since its inception in 96, am I not mistaken?
1: That's right. We've been lucky enough, and there's probably a little bit more than luck, but in addition to being pretty good at footy, year before last got awarded the best sporting professional business in Australasia by GameLine Analytics and Platinum Asset Management. So it gave us sort of some comparison to how do we perform against other codes and in the region as well. So it's sort of validation of some of the stuff that we've been working on so you've won
0: all five of the last finals but the idea that coaches move on players move on has it been like this in the past how do you respond to things like that
1: so probably recent past was 217 and so the coach uh, scott robertson who's now been appointed all blacks coach for after this world cup when he started in 217 the number of caps that had left post that world cup was significant so there's a big drop off in the shape of the roster but I think the organisation had capacity. So you start with capacity and then you enable the new coaching group to come in and set them up as best as you possibly can. And I think that's what we're trying to do this time. We're trying to learn from the lessons of that transition where there is more continuity. So we have four coaches who have recent experience in the environment and a management group that's still reasonably familiar with what goes on around here. So it's the old story. There's no rocket science. It's core things you do, make people feel like they belong, fight for a cause bigger than yourself, enable people, trust people, continue to improve your standards. You know, you can look it up on Google. All the answers are there.
0: It's never easy to transition from major leadership groups, but You've been there and done that before. So it seems like it's just part of the routine of professional sport.
1: So I'm reasonably new to it. I've been five years here now. And one of the things that this place has taught me is how standards are handed down. Sam Whitelock, who will become the most capped All Black of all time. I watch how he conducts himself after a game, you know, that sweeping the shed stuff. And even when he was on a sore Achilles, he was still... You know, making sure the place looked as good after we left it as what it was before we arrived. You know, that's his mindset. Then you watch a Tamati Williams, who, who's a, a new all black, and you see him conduct himself the same way. And all he's done is he's copy the role model. I think that's a the thing. There's a unashamed sort of copying of role models happens in professional sport generally. And so if you've got enough carry through, hopefully it, it sort of sets you up for the next sort of dynasty or iteration.
0: Obviously, when you have a very winning club, a lot of your players will get picked for your international matches. How do you manage that players do have to play internationals and that's a risk to them getting injured?
1: What we do is we take the mindset out not only to be successful ourselves, but to do that through creating an environment where the people can be the best versions of themselves. You know, if you're gonna play for the Crusaders, we want you to be an all black and a great all black. And so what do we need to do to equip you to be the best you can be? So that means that quite often, if you do end up with an injury situation or your roster gets a little bit out of kilter, because you've got that growth mindset about development, you're always looking to bring people through. So one of the things that the previous head coach I remember when other coaches were struggling with injuries and availability, he used to reframe it and always see it as an opportunity to give somebody else a chance. So I think that mindset of seeing it as an opportunity versus a cost, ironically, you grow more athletes and then before you know it, you've got competition in your roster. So it can actually be helpful rather than a hindrance.
0: But at the same time, it also raises our value to get our focus, not just on the players that are currently on the field but also on the players that are going to be stepping up and stepping in in the near future to create that competition for that
1: open spot. And I think the other thing is it does, if you think about the player that goes up and represents New Zealand in the All Blacks, it's almost like free personal development. So when they come back to the environment, they're better for it. Everyone wins. It's a great system or framework to have where everybody becomes a winner.
0: What's your experience like you've been there for five years now and has much changed now that South African teams are out of the competition?
1: So it's actually quite an interesting question because I know there's been a little bit of commentary in the game about how the competition is not preparing players as well as what it has historically. There is again, another way to look at it. Even when the South Africans were in the super rugby competition, The most brutal games were New Zealand derby matches, so the Crusaders playing the Blues, the Crusaders playing the Chiefs, the Chiefs playing the Blues. High intensity, high loyalty, they're the ones where your injury attrition was highest. And you were playing often a team that was physical and fast as well, and so you're playing a like-minded team, so they're always extracting the most out of you. So. The South Africans played a different style, so their style was more, you know, big bodies, again, very physical game, probably not quite as much width, a bit more kicking. But in terms of preparation, I'm not sure it's actually much different because we've got fewer teams in the competition, but we're playing New Zealand teams more frequently, once every two weeks rather than once every three or four. In many respects, the preparation is probably as severe as traveling you know, over the Indian Ocean to play South Africa.
0: That's for another conversation, because this is a leadership show and it's about your leadership. So I think that's the right time to actually move over and start getting into your history. What's something about being a CEO that others don't know unless they've been in that position.
1: Where it ends. (laughs) I don't think there's any role where you are at the end because you've always got a board or a government or someone you have to report to or, or you're accountable or responsible to. So you're never on your own, but sometimes you are on your own. And the other thing is you're always trying to think broadly, even if others are thinking about some things very deeply. So you've got to have a broader perspective and you're always trying to take yourself up a level and look differently and look further. And it's not a status or hierarchy, but you're just trying to elevate your view all the time so that you can see both around you and also into the future. And I think as you get further up the leadership tree, your capacity to take a step up again Gives you a little bit more capacity than you would otherwise have. So, yeah, I think that's the thing that keeps me awake at night. How do I stay elevated in terms of perspective all the time, both looking internally and externally?
0: Want to develop your leadership potential this October? Join the Western Bulldogs and Victoria University for Performance Leadership, a two day program offering unparalleled insight into leading in dynamic, high performance environments. Places for the October 5th and 6th intake are limited, so prospective attendees are encouraged to visit education.westernbulldogs.com.au to register interest today. So is there a big difference that you found in your leadership between leading the Crusaders as a sports organization and something like your role as head of agribusiness, your time at the banks, and uh, other roles?
1: When I first started here, one of the very first questions I got was, oh, this will be different. Banks aren't people business. This is a people business. (laughs) And of course, you know, you go and have a bit of a laugh, I think, because banks report Balance sheets of astronomical size and a PL that makes your eyes water. And so people seem to think that's what they're all about. But of course, that's just a statement that describes them. They are every bit of people business as this one. What I've noticed here, though, is that people take a great deal of pride in their people processes. So if I think about our health, safety, and wellbeing committee that we've got here, which is a staff driven committee. Boy, they're genuine and serious about the work that they do, that they're so serious and they make me feel guilty because they've thought it through, you know, so easily delegated to. They'll think about stuff that's coming on the horizon. There'll be very little box ticking. Whereas when you get into a commercial organisation, sometimes you can be somewhat overwhelmed by all your responsibilities uh, and here, it's innate in what people do. They feel personally responsible to think about health, safety, and well-being. It's not a department or a function. It's core to who we are. And there'll be different people taking formal leadership roles. In some of the commercial organisations I've worked in, we'd set up a department, put a project management group in, <laughs> and before you know it, you've got this piece on the side. It's, it's innate in this place.
0: You know, staying on that cultural focus, what do you think... The biggest differences or similarities that you were shocked to find between New Zealand and when you were in Vietnam?
1: Again, I think the similarities are how much of communication is nonverbal, how much of communication requires listening, and the better inquiry you do, the more effective you are. So that's no different between New Zealand, sport, commercial, Southeast Asia. I think it's very, very similar. The challenge being, It's harder to ask the right questions when you're in a different culture. So you look clumsy, you look slow, you look like you're thinking too hard. Often you're speaking either through a translator or in a tongue that's not your mother tongue. But ironically, often that leads to better outcomes because you're much more intently listening. You need the same skill in both places, but there's an expectation that you don't have to be quite so articulate and quick. And therefore, in in a different language or different culture, you almost get forgiven for taking your time.
0: How have you seen the roles of, let's just say, CEO? Do you think that people usually follow into one set of styles or do people have their own uniqueness? Because obviously being a CEO as opposed to being a head coach is quite different, as
1: is a GM. It is and it isn't. There are some certain principles, they're like laws of the universe, and I think they work everywhere. So even if there's a stylistic difference, so even if somebody is more direct, if they're direct from a place where their team know that's coming from a place of care, then they're forgiven for stylistic differences. And I think about some recent examples of a couple of coaches where one being very direct, very forthright. And if people in the group were not clear about where that behaviour was coming from, it could be construed as blunt and uncaring but once they realise where it comes from, that difference is accommodated. So what's motivating the people to do the leadership that they're doing? So they do it because they care and they want to make a difference. They want to help people and they're continually reminding themselves of that. You know, the, the introversion, extroversion scale, you know, oh, you know, you've got to have this and that. And the reality is some of the best coaches I've seen are the ones that are thoughtful, reflective, ask fewer questions. But those questions leave the audience, you know, brain tuning over and thinking, and they're just as effective as somebody who can go out and inspire a group to charge behind them to achieve a goal of some other. Both are effective.
0: One of the issues that a lot of leaders find themselves having to deal with is that a situation is good or good enough, but what have you found are effective tools or what are some good examples of when you had to encourage people to innovate, to say, yes, it's good for now, but we also have to think of the future.
1: I've actually just had a recent example, maybe not so much around innovation, but about not being satisfied with standards. A couple of staff recently engaged me directly with observations about some of the standards that were here. And I've talked before about Tamaiti picking up from the role modelling of of Sam Whitelock around sweeping the shed or, or, or whatever it might be. When I heard a couple of these comments, I thought, oh, I know what you're saying, but it's not really that important. But then you hear it from two or three people who are saying to you that we're accepting things that are not what we should be accepting. We should be better than that. We should want to improve. Now, to improve sometimes requires innovation or time apart to think about those things. But it also requires a belief that your standards are never good enough, so they've always got to be better. And so this feedback in the last three or four days is to think about what standards are you going to accept, then not what standards will you demand, but what standards will you encourage people to set for themselves. So it's not about that's not good enough, they're our standards, but it's about making sure people are reminded uh, the standards we set for ourselves. The innovation thing, I think, just comes out of once people think, oh, yeah, actually, that's not quite where we want, want to be or we want to be better at this. Once they figure there's a standard gap that needs to be bridged, right, let's think about some ideas and then out comes innovation or outcomes, the innovative mindset to solve that problem.
0: Rarely does it get talked about how people feel in those processes. What's your process for having that conversation with somebody? And, you know, how does it feel having to have those difficult chats, regardless of what the topic is or who it is? How do you handle those things?
1: I'm not very good at it either, because I tend to get a bit caught up and maybe overly empathic, if that's the right word to describe. Because sometimes if you're... Organisational standards are your standards, then there's no apology required. You can just discuss those very objectively. But if you're sitting there thinking, How's the other person going to respond to this? and then thinking, How do I help them respond in the best way that's possible for them to respond? you can overthink yourself. I learned a good lesson. We had to go through a bit of an identity review process after the mosque attack in Christchurch of 2019. And it forced a bit of process upon us at that time. And one of the pieces of advice I got from a Kalmar so a a leader of the local iwi here around the way we were behaving and dealing with our identity review or brand refresh, was he said, I'm really impressed with how quickly you guys have thought about what you're doing and how slowly you're acting. And that little nub, I've quite enjoyed it. A couple of staff take the mickey out of me as sort of a Yoda thing about this thing and think quickly, act slowly. And We sort of use that, and I use that on myself a little bit. Sometimes I'm quick to go there, and then I'll keep trying to think, try and turn the amygdala off a bit, keep thinking, 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 talk and discuss and engage, think. And even if I've made a call, try and stop. It's almost like sending yourself the email that you were going to send, I don't think that ever works against you. Very, very seldom do people need an email that urgently that you haven't said to yourself first. So think quickly, act slowly. And variably, even when people are looking for assertive and confident leadership, quite often they confuse that with speed. And sometimes you're better off with a much more confident two-day decision than you are in a speedy one-day decision.
0: You know, just for people who aren't familiar with what that rebranding process started as and what it became, maybe just a little background on that.
1: So Crusaders, Um, our iconography obviously the name Crusader has a couple of meanings and I think our brand and history was built on the back of Knights of the Crusade when it was originally launched Knights of the Crusade so sword carrying uh, cross wielding you know horsemen and that was the myth that was built up and the club was built on that Then we had the mosque attack in 2019. 51 people lost their lives in that. And so our identity and branding was called into question. What happened was that when we look back over our previous 25 years, we discovered that we weren't really, you know, knights carrying around swords. The word crusade had both externally and internally, we got external people to look at us and tell us about us. And they said that you stand for something different. The crusading you do tends to be more about, you know, supporting the community after earthquakes leading the community after natural disasters, crusading for a better place. Uh, So we have what we call the Crusade with Heart Foundation now. and We raise money for research into child cancer. We raise money for mental health and we use our brand assets to do that. So we've sort of reclaimed the word crusader to be somebody doing a cause for good. Yeah. So pretty challenging time, but ironically for us, forced us to have a good hard look at who we were and and what we're about. And we discovered we weren't what our brand was portraying and we were actually quite different.
0: So tell me about that new logo. It looks pretty fantastic. What's the origin of that?
1: So the Tahu talks about, there's two parts to it. It's connected both internally to each other and externally with our community. The two colors Uh, Black or pāngo in te reo Māori or fero is red in te reo Māori and there's a whakatauki or saying which is ma pāngo ma fero kaoti to mahi, which means with black, with red, we can achieve anything. Now, black is the colour of infinite potential, the colour you see when you open your eyes in the morning before you start this amazingly wonderful day and the dark skies in in the centre of the island here going on for an infinity to so infinite potential the color red is the color of leadership you put infinite potential together with leadership both of others and self you can get the work done you can achieve anything and the tohu tells a story of connection the colors and obviously a, a nod to the sea of the crusaders
0: that's some fantastic design you see the sea you know it's for crusaders but it's done in a way where it's clearly connected to the heritage around the club but so let's talk instead of about these concepts, what is one of the most notable differences between your leadership when you started and now?
1: I think I always cared and I think I loved my work and I loved why I did the work that I did. This is a sport that people have described to me as sometimes the athletes have like a mini car crash each week, you know, so you go out. 80 minutes you throw your body around, you know, professional sport can be quite brutal and physical. So you would naturally think that it's played and coached by people who are sort of brutal and physical. What I've discovered is the exact opposite. The people who play and coach and lead this game are soft. They care. The word love is thrown around often and frequently, and nobody cringes when it's used. It's a much gentler sport of the soul and the mind than it is of the body. So I think that's the thing that's a me is permission to care and be vulnerable with very strong tough men. I think I'm probably a lot softer than I used to be ironically. I'm surprised how friendly athletes are with each other after they've just spent 80 minutes trying to beat each other up. The respect they have for the opposition, the gratitude for what they've just been through, all of those things, just very hard men giving very soft lessons.
0: Very well said. So let's cap with my favorite question to end with. If you have some good leadership advice that you wish you knew sooner, what would it be?
1: I think I'd be really clear about why I'm doing it. We were doing some reviews the other day and one of the questions we asked of a newer coach was they thought they knew why they wanted to coach. But when you asked them the question, why, they stumbled their way around and they were unclear. Well, I think people who are more mature and comfortable are really clear about their why. So what is it that inspires you to do the work that you do do you care about the cause that you're trying to lead Do you care about the people do you care about making a difference do you want to inspire what is it be really clear and really precise with your why then gives you permission to focus on the things that count so that when you get distracted by the other things they don't matter or count as much i know for myself personally you know what's the difference between working in a financial services business or a bank and working in here. Well, what I've realised is that my role there was to inspire our bankers to think about how they could equip their customers To be the most efficient, the least environmentally impactful, the healthiest, most enjoyable farmers they could be through the products and services that we offered them. And then in this role, it's about inspiring people to belong to the family that's the Crusaders, but also to participate in the game or enjoy the game. So the clearer I've become, the less distracted I am by the things that cause you angst each day. So
0: that's a phenomenal answer and a great way to end the show. You can follow Colin and the Crusaders on social media at crusadersrugby and hashtag mapangomafero.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Colin, thanks for being
1: here. Thank you, Spencer. It's been a pleasure, mate. I've really enjoyed my time with you.
0: Thanks for listening today. And thanks to our sponsors. More information about the show and our guests can be found in the show notes. You can follow the show on Twitter or LinkedIn at leadfromtheside or myself on Twitter or LinkedIn at ballsoutphd. If you want to contribute to the show, send us an email at leadfromtheside at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next time, and remember to lead from the side.